Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. Joseph sends his apologies. He was very much looking forward to uh, opening God's Word with us today after a bit of a break and getting into Acts. And he's came down with COVID. So uh, he's recovering well. The worst of it was middle of the week. But um, even just pulling out a few uh, weeds the other day kind of wore him out. So he's having a bit of a breather. But that's okay. We're going to get into Acts chapter 1. As we begin in Acts, let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we begin uh, this tremendous journey through the story of the early church, and as we see the flame of the gospel spread as your kingdom grew, we ask that you would fill our hearts with enthusiasm, with joy, with the expectation of great things in our midst, as you still continue your mission today. Please would you help us to know that we are part of it. Would you challenge us to join your work? In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, listen up. I've got a job for you to do. You ready? Preach the gospel. Start here and don't stop until you reach the ends of the earth. Okay, that's it, let's go. been a short sermon, wouldn't it? I'm, I was very, very tempted to, well, as long as you're coming with me, Andrew, you applaud, but let's go, right? Start in Ingleburn. By next week, I want it to be the whole Fields Zone. By the week after that, the MacArthur. Maybe it'll take us three months to do New South Wales, a year for Australia, and then a decade for the world, right? Those were the last words that Jesus spoke while He was on earth. Start here and don't stop. I wonder how you'd feel. I mean, you look around the group of people who were with you, it was about 120 that were there. It's about the size of our church, right? A little bit, a little bit smaller than our church. I, I mean, I, I, does the thought daunt you? I mean, I've struggled to share with my neighbours. What do you mean I've got to go to the ends of the earth? You see the pictures of Mongolia? I mean, you expect me to go there? war-torn Somalia? Do you want me to go to Pakistan where they kill Christians? I mean, how? Are you excited? Does that kind of big mission, big vision, big scope, does that light a fire under you? You think, you know what? Yes, let's go and change the world. Or are you a logistics person? All right, so we're going to need to have uh, this amount. We're going to need $60 trillion. We're probably going to need about 3,000 years. We're going to need a workforce of 5 million people. We're going to, right, is, is that your kind of, you start planning. We're going to have to knock this building down, build three more, the same size on this property. We're going to have to... <clears throat> as far as opening scenes go, it doesn't get much better than that. It really is the setup for an epic saga. It's kind of the yellow text scrolling backwards in the screen, if you know what I mean, as the Star Wars opening credits begin. The book of Acts is, is a chronicle, it's a record of the spreading flame of the Gospel. It began in that tiny little moment with such a small group of insignificantly, seemingly insignificant people, and yet within just decades, let alone where we are now, it really was bushfire-like as it spread. How could it possibly be that these 12 chosen men with a following of 120 could change the world? 
Now, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see the risks that they took, the pain they had to endure, the suffering they went through, the gutsy stands that they took, and all of it alongside the incredible kingdom that grew and grew and grew and is still growing today. Now, the book of Acts is Luke's second book. Right, if, you're, if you're a Bible reader, remember the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then he wrote the book of Acts. Um, it's a little bit of a shame that in our Bibles they've put John in between Luke and Acts. Really the two just run one into the other. Um, uh, Luke's, both the books are written to this man Theophilus, uh, who literally means lover of God. So, we're not quite sure whether he was writing to a specific person called Theophilus or just, hey you, are you a lover of God? This story's for you. Either way, it's for us to listen to. The Gospel, if you like, the Gospel of Luke was all that Jesus did in His life, as He gave His life. And then the book of Acts is about His power, as He gives His power. In the Gospel, we see the seeds of the early church and now in Acts, we're going to see the growth of the church. In the Gospel, Jesus is crucified and resurrected. In Acts, Jesus is glorified. In the Gospel, we saw the perfect man, the perfect example, the perfect teacher. In Acts, we're going to see how imperfect people live out the Kingdom of God. I mean, have a look with me. Again, I hope you've got Acts chapter 1 open still there. Acts chapter 1, and I mean, just look at verse 1, right? We see all of that information there. <clears throat> I wrote the first narrative of Theophilus. Listen to what he says about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So, if you like, the gospel, that first book that he wrote, was about what Jesus began to do and teach. In Acts, it's what he continues to do and teach, what He still continues today. Now, I want to be clear, what we're doing as we study Acts isn't an interesting history lesson. I don't know if you're a history buff or not, I'm not, history's boring. Acts isn't. Acts isn't just that what happened in the past, isn't that nice. As we go through Acts, in a sense what we're going to find is, if you like, the formula for, for a satisfying life, for a fulfilling life, do you want to be, have, have a life that's relevant, that achieves something? Do you want to have a life that counts, not just now, but for future generations and even into eternity? Well, the book of Acts tells us that. In fact, Joe, in his notes from his sermon, uh, do you want to live an effervescent life? There you go, sounds rather bubbly, I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. Do you want to live an effervescent life? Well, then we need to pay attention to Acts. So let's talk about the first few verses, which really gives us the context in between the two books. You know how the second movie in the trilogy, they've always got that little blurb, right? In the last 10 years, the rebellion has been blah, blah, blah. They, they, they kind of fill you in a little bit on what happened in between episode one and episode two. Well, the first few verses do that for us. Right, have a look again at uh, verse 1, I wrote the first narrative Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up, after He had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles He had chosen. Here's, here's the little in-between bit, after He had suffered, He also presented Himself alive to them 
by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Forty days passed from his death and resurrection until this moment in time. All right, so it's only been a month and a bit, right? What, is, what are we? Um, Christmas, basically, right? From, from Christmas to now, Jesus had been appearing to them, showing them that he's alive. I mean, that in itself is remarkable. But teaching them, speaking about all the things that they hadn't understood previously. You might remember from Luke chapter 24... Uh, we read an account of two men who were travelling and whom Jesus appeared to and, and as they're travelling and they, they kind of said, well, haven't, haven't you heard the events? And Jesus plays dumb a little bit and says, oh, what events are you talking about? They said, well, that's about Jesus, how can you not have heard? And Jesus then began to explain to them from the Scriptures all that had happened and these were His followers and they kind of went, oh, we get it now. Their description of it was... Our hearts were on fire, they were burning as we heard Him. We finally understood. And so now, as they finally understood it all, after spending three years with Jesus and not understanding it, these last 40 days they've begun to understand it. Expectation is building. Right, so verse 4, while He was with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise which he said, you've heard me speak about John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit in the coming days. And I can't imagine the excitement that built then. If you're familiar with the Old Testament and you just think for a moment about what happened in the Old Testament by the power of God's Spirit. I mean, the Spirit of God would come upon the kings of Israel. Saul, right, he, he won his mighty battles, David won his mighty battles in the power of the Spirit. The prophets, the Spirit of God was upon them such that they do all sorts of incredible things, provision of food, rain would fall at their command and stop at their command, the sun stood still by God's power and God's Spirit. I mean, can you imagine God's Spirit's about to fall on all of us Previously, it was just one guy at a time who'd get that power. Now we're all getting it. What's about to happen? And so as the expectation builds, it's no surprise that they start wondering whether it's political power that's about to arrive. Verse 6, when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? I mean, is this it? Are we finally kicking the Romans out? We're going to become the global superpower and we're going to rule the world. Is this the moment? No, Jesus said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power wasn't power to raise the dead or make axe heads float or whatever it was that the prophets had done. This was power to speak. The last recorded words of Jesus on earth. I mean, he, he spoke to his followers in times to come after he was in heaven. But while on earth, here is the mission that he gave to his church. Can I put it this way, right? Church, Barney's, this is your mission. We exist for this reason. 
That's it. Verse 8 really is the, the heart of the book of Acts. It's the outline. Everything else that happens is just working out that outline. Chapters 1 to 7, the gospel goes to Jerusalem. Chapter 8, the gospel goes out to Judea and to Samaria. By chapter 10, the Gentiles, the, the ends of the earth. And in chapters 8, 13 onwards, it really does. The gospel does start to just go and go and go. So what I want to do with our time this morning, really, is just highlight three aspects of this instruction Jesus gave them. What is the mission? What's it, what is the extent of the mission? And what power has Jesus given His church to accomplish it? Here's the mission. Witness. You will be my witnesses. That's a simple sentence, isn't it? That was their mission. Right? Just have a quick look over at chapter 2 and verse 32. Chapter 2, verse 32. As in the middle of a speech, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus... We are all witnesses of this. Right? That was their mission. Speak of what you have seen. Now, they, were, they were eyewitnesses. They were the ones who had been there, who heard Jesus, who ate the food when he, when he miraculously provided it, who were recipients of His healing, who saw the death, who witnessed the resurrection. It's why when it comes time to replace one of the apostles, why they had to replace Judas, they had to go and find somebody who'd been there since the beginning. <clears throat> that, that was the requirement for the job, that you had been an eyewitness. Right? Back in chapter 1 and verse 21, look at chapter 1 verse 21, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day He was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of His resurrection. By the way, I really feel for, uh, for poor Joseph called Bar Sabbath. You were there, right? I mean, what an election to lose. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think of the poor politician, right? Whoever the, doesn't become the Prime Minister, poor thing, right? Poor Barsavis, you could have been in history forevermore as one of the 12 apostles, one of the... Ah, oh, you, you missed out. Matthias instead gets in. But did you notice the requirement? Eyewitness. They were there, they saw it. Now, our witness is different, isn't it? None of us were eyewitnesses to Jesus' earthly ministry. We, we can't have the same mission that those 12 had. Theirs was unique. Theirs was to say, we are the ones who were there. We saw it. You can verify it by our experience. They were the ones who wrote it down for us. So in a sense, what we witness to is their witness, that what they said is true that we have experienced it in our lives, that we know it to be true. Now, by the way, can I just point out, this is really important for our trust that the Bible is true. Pretty much every other religion is born out of one person's experience. Whether it's the Buddha sitting under a tree and finding enlightenment, whether it's Muhammad going into a cave and having visions, whether it's Joseph Smith finding golden glasses who he alone could read the scriptures through. One person alone 
who has a miraculous revelation and therefore communicates it out of their head into the world. It's unverifiable. There's no other witnesses, there's no historical event that you can point to and say, no, there's the proof. Whereas in Christianity, they explicitly went and found from amongst the multitude the specific group of people who had been there and seen it, who could accurately represent the events. But here's the thing, they weren't the only ones. There were thousands who saw what Jesus did and said and taught. And any one of them could have contradicted the events. To write it down and make it public was a risk, if you like. Because anybody else could have said, well, actually, that's not true, that's not how it happened, that wasn't it. And yet even the non-Christians, the secular historians, agree with the events. They disagree with the interpretation, we'll come to that in a minute. But that, that Jesus lived and did miracles, that He was a teacher above all others, that a, that a following began almost unimaginably, all of this is history. We trust that what the eyewitnesses said they saw is, in fact, what happened. But it's not just facts, is it? Because they also give us God's interpretation of the events. You know the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. Have you ever looked at a picture and you've gone, I have no idea what that picture is? It's not worth many words, is it? You could even look at a picture that you think you understand, but you don't, right? A, little, a, little, a picture, let's say, of a man grabbing a small child with a fierce look on his face and just running. And you think, well, is that a kidnapping that's happening? But you don't know, do you? Unless it's interpreted for you. No, a car is about to hit that child and he's throwing her out of the way. I, I don't know, right? The, the, the pictures, the events themselves... Well, what do they mean? What does it mean that God entered into the world as a baby? That He lived a perfect life? That He was mocked and beaten? What does it mean that He was killed? What does it mean that three days later He came to life never to die again? What does it mean that He was ascended into heaven where He is now seated in glory interceding for us? That, that He has promised to come again to judge the living and the dead, to begin a new world where righteousness reigns. What does it mean? The eyewitnesses didn't just show us the picture, they interpreted it for us. The Bible is the interpretation, okay? Let's just get that right. We don't, we don't have to interpret, it's not on us now to interpret those events, we read and understand their interpretation. That is their witness. We witness to their witness. We hold, as we say, to the apostolic faith. Why do we say that? Well, because it's the faith as passed down by the apostles, those who saw it. And so the mission to them was slightly unique, to those 12, be my eyewitnesses, but it was a, a commission to the whole group, not just to the 12, they all witnessed to what the eyewitnesses saw and so our mission continues because you can tell somebody else that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is true 
because of what it has done in your life. I hope you can tell somebody else. If you can't, then come and talk to me afterwards and let's work things out with Jesus. I hope that you can say to somebody else, this is what Jesus has done to me and for me and in me. Can you, can you say that? I wonder if that's not a conversation we might have over at Cupper and Chat afterwards. Just tell somebody here, this is what Jesus has done for me. Jesus' followers are on a mission, literally on a mission from God. We don't have to get the band back together. We are on a mission from God. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I wonder if that's how you view your Christianity. It's very easy to view your Christianity as being about you, being about me. God's done nice things for me. God's going to fix my life. God's going to help me through the tough times. God's going to comfort me when I'm down and God's going to bless me and God's going to, in the end, give, take me to heaven. Like, all those things are true, by the way. I'm not saying any of that isn't true. But is that what your Christianity is about? Because Jesus has you on earth as part of his mission. I guess you could ask the question the other way around. What is Jesus' Christianity about? Jesus' Christianity is about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So what are we doing? Well, what's the extent of the mission? If the mission is to witness, the extent is very simple, don't stop. Don't stop, just get cracking and go. That's very simple, but it's also very complicated. I mean, you think about the places he's telling them to go. Go to Jerusalem. You know that place where they just crucified Jesus? You know that place where they were persecuting? Go start there. Really? Go, go to Judea. But, but, but Jesus was rejected by the leaders of Judea. What do you mean go to Judea? Go to Samaria. Half-breeds who had completely whack ideas about God. Go to the Gentiles, but they're not even God's people. What do you mean, go to them, Jesus? Go to the very ends of the earth. I wonder if that command didn't make some of them just want to go home. That's too much, Jesus. That's too big. And I tell you, I reckon that's a bit of a challenge to us, right? At our prayer night on Monday, it was a wonderful night, Matt, Matt Bales shared with us some of his prayer points and updates of life and ministry. And he picked this, completely coincidentally, he picked Acts chapter 1 verse 8 as his... Um, a framework for sharing, right? Jerusalem, well, what's at home? And then Judea and Samaria, kind of the region, and then the ends of the earth, the world, and they share with us. It's very helpful. It made me wonder, for some of us, I think perhaps often, we're, we're more excited about the ends of the earth than we are about our neighbours. I'm prepared to imagine, right, yes, it's great to send missionaries and to be praying and sending our money. Isn't it wonderful to take the gospel out there? Amy, what a tremendous ministry in Argentina. God bless you, right? Go, do that ministry. How wonderful. I'm going to pray for open doors and I'm going to be looking after all these missionaries and isn't that wonderful? But you think I'm going to go and knock on my neighbour's door and tell them about Jesus? You're kidding, right? Don't be ridiculous. I wonder which the challenge is for you. Starting at home and don't stop. And the thing is, they did it. <laughs> they did it. I mean, just in the next couple of chapters, Peter goes to Jerusalem. 
And he stands up in the crowd and he preaches and 3,000 of them are converted that day. It began so quickly. I tell you what, it's such a challenge to our hearts. It has to challenge there first. I, I'm not fussed if you go knock on your neighbour's door or not. That's not really the application. The challenge is to our hearts. Do you recognise that what you hold is the key to eternity? That what you have in your mind with the words of the gospel are the words of eternal life. Is that, is that, like, does that sink in? That, that what you have is what every single person outside these doors needs for an eternity of peace with God, without which they are condemned to an eternity of damnation. Do you have some love for the world? They did. Is your heart bleeding for your neighbour as well as for Somalia? I sometimes wonder if, we're, if we don't have a sense as Christians that we're saving up for the mission. I've, I've, got, to, I've got to just build up some reserves now. I've got to I've got to get a bit wealthier so that I have some resources. I've got to get more trained up as a Christian so that I'm better at it. I've, I've, I've got to somehow, the mission's coming, at some point in the future I'll do the Christian work. Later, later. We're on the mission now. The day Jesus saved you, this became your mission. If you have heard the gospel and believed it and responded in repentance and faith, Congratulations, you just signed up to God's army. Congratulations, you just signed up for the most exciting mission in the world. To take the news of the victory of the King to the ends of the earth. Christians throughout millennia have heard that call and have given up everything for it. And Christians throughout the millennia have heard that call and not given up everything, but lived their lives day to day for it. All sorts of ways it plays out. It's not just one path. Every day, in every way, to be completely His. Full of zeal and commitment. Now, there's a weird dichotomy, I don't know what it is. There's something strange about these verses. Because where are we physically located right now? Where are we? We're at the ends of the earth. <laughs> like seriously, if you're going to go from Jerusalem and Judea, how much further away do you want to get than us? Maybe somebody in the middle of Australia. But we are the ends of the earth. The gospel has already gotten to the ends of the earth, hasn't it? Well, this is where it isn't about geography, it's about people. This isn't just, well, we've deposited the box called the gospel into each country and we're done. That's not how it works. The ends of the earth is about the people who need to hear the gospel. Now, can I just point out that their mission was enormous. Ours isn't quite so big, but it may feel that way. Our parish, right, our, our, our little patch that we are directly responsible for in the Anglican system currently has about 45,000 people. By 
2038, 15-ish years from now, including Edmondson Park, that's going to be just over 90,000 people. We are currently a church of about 150 on a given, any given Sunday. We've got about 200 on the books. And as far as we can see, we're just about it, as far as people who are going to take the gospel to this parish. Actually, our task is really small compared to theirs, isn't it? They had 120, so they were less than us. And they had to do the whole world. I mean, even if it was only millions then, instead of the billions we have now, our odds are so much better. Our task is so much smaller. Yeah, I mean, let's just get on with it, right? It's easy, we should knock it over in a year or two, <laughs> Right? Actually, it might be well be daunting. It is a daunting thought. We're few. There's many. Well, maybe we need God's power. Maybe if the task seems daunting and impossible, what we need is the power that they got. Have a look at the mission's power again, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now, I don't want to steal too much of the thunder from chapter 2. Chapter 2 is when the power arrives, and oh, what power. But all through the book of Acts, all throughout it, simple, everyday, common people, very often uneducated, untrained, ill-equipped, fearful, over and over and over again did amazing things. They showed astonishing wisdom. They argued with the elite, with the philosophers and the rulers and the thinkers of the day. They showed courage beyond understanding. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Now, if you're sitting in the pew right now feeling ordinary, excellent. That's the sort of people God loves to use. He doesn't need extraordinary people. Because it's not our power, it's His. Now, again, there's lots, of, lots said about the Holy Spirit these days. You can go to all sorts of churches and they'll, they'll teach you a fair bit of kooky kind of stuff about the Spirit. But just remember the mission, right? Jesus gave them power for the mission. What was the mission? It was a very simple mission. What was it? Witness, speak. That, that, that's what they, that was their mission. So what's the power going to do? Give them words to speak, to teach them. I mean, that was Jesus' promise. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you in all wisdom. He will teach you. You don't understand yet. It's okay. When the Spirit comes, He will. You will understand. You will know. You need the words and you will get them. We have the same Spirit, friends. He hasn't changed from them to us. The same gift given by our Heavenly Father for the same mission. What a wonderful promise. And then, verse 9, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I assume they were outdoors, kind of challenging otherwise. Imagine ending your sermon like that. They would remember that, wouldn't they? They'd remember it for the rest of their days. 
And what a promise the angels made. Verse 10, while it was going, they were gazing into heaven. Too many white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going. We look forward to the day of Jesus' return. And until he does, the mission hasn't changed. To the ends of the earth. Every day, in every way. It's a big challenge, isn't it? It's so easy to live life day to day, to, to get lost in the mundane. We've got our jobs and our families and our houses to look after and our hobbies and our right. It's just, it's just it's easy. It's easy to get lost. I'm not. I don't want to put a burden of guilt and say, well, we're all terrible Christians because that's that's not it. But this is an exciting adventure. This is what God is doing in the world. We, 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 we're going to see the beginning. I mean, how exciting is it to see the beginning and compare it to now? By current estimates, two billion people around the world call themselves Christians. Two billion people around the world say they are followers of Jesus born out of that moment where the mission began. And do you know how those two billion people have become followers of Jesus? Because for every single one of them, someone told them. Whether it was a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a scripture teacher, a grandparent, a godparent, a neighbour, a friend, a colleague, a worker, whoever, somebody, somewhere. Just break it down from such a mass of seething humanity down to one individual. Somebody told them. Hey, have you heard the good news? God is saving people through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Is that your mission? Now look, as a church... We do all sorts of things to do this mission, is what we're on about. This is our heart, this is our heartbeat, our blood, this is what we do as a church. This is why we exist, is for this mission. We're in term one, which we focus on engaging, just to give it some structure to the year, engage. How are you engaging? Are you connecting with people? Now's the time to be uh, meeting new people, reacquainting yourself with your friends, doing the street party, making the phone calls, writing a letter. If that's all you can do, just write some letters. There's a blast from the past that actually means a lot still to people. Are you connecting? Are you then caring, showing love? This isn't bait and switch, right? We're not just, I want to get to know you so that I can shove the gospel down your throat and then I'm done. No, this is true love and genuine relationship. Are you caring for them? So that, in time, you can communicate the gospel. You can tell them about Jesus and call them to repent. This is a message that has a call. It's not just, here's some nice information, but I want you to come and trust the Lord Jesus. Now, we've got a couple of things in particular by way of application. The first is our prayer card, Hungry for Prayer. We must be praying. It begins there. If you don't have one, you'll find them at both of the doors they're just listing some specific people to begin praying for them, including one person that you have yet to meet. Be praying to God 
that He will bring somebody into your life that you can share the gospel with them. And when you meet them and you recognize their name, write it down and then get praying for them. And come and tell me. I love hearing stories of when you meet your person to be praying for. Can I also commend Easter to you? It may feel a little bit early, but we're only five or six weeks out. Now's the time to be praying about Easter to be sharing Easter with people. I'll tell you more in a little bit when we do announcements. We've got something exciting happening at Easter. All of it again is about your heart. You hold, and I mean you individually, hold the words of eternal life. How could we ever keep them in? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for this mission that you began that even as you save the world, you are doing it through ordinary people like us, empowered by your Spirit, taking out the words of good news. We praise you and we thank you for the honour to be on mission with you. And so please strengthen us for what lies ahead, to your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.